The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Pressure is mounting on the government for an independent inquiry into the links between Gardaí, the Garda Ombudsman, and Jerry Hutch. Justice Minister Simon Harris is currently awaiting an internal review by GSOC into claims that a now resigned investigator attended a party celebrating the acquittal of Mr. Hutch last week. What does it mean for GSOC? What should happen next? Well, I'm joined on the line by Mick Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner, and we'll also be talking to Brendan O'Connor, president of the GRA at their annual conference. There's many things to discuss. But first, uh, good morning, Mick. Morning, Pat. Now, uh, you write in your column that this is, uh, it's goo land, really. It's grotesque, it's unprecedented, it's bizarre, it's unbelievable what happened with a member of GSOC. Yes, no, I suppose in the first instance, we have to be totally clear in that GSOC's official position at the moment is that this investigator said to people that Jerry Hutch had been at this party. That has not been confirmed or completely established yet, but that's as as it is, and one can well posit that there's no reason why he would say it was the case if it wasn't. But <clears throat> quite obviously, it's a highly, highly unusual situation. In the first instance, uh, the reason this man was certainly at a party among Hutch associates at the time is that he has a commercial relationship, it would seem, with a, a female member of the wider Hutch family in that he, he he's... Um, He's a tenant of hers and that he's living nearby. Now, apart from the party or anything, that immediately, I would have thought, would have raised alarm bells that anybody in GSOC would have that kind of an association with a family. And quite obviously, not everybody in the family and most people, most likely in the wider family, are not involved in any crime. Yes, it is effectively one of the major crime groups that the Gardaí have recognised, and it has been very much the focus of a, a myriad of investigations in recent years. Now, in terms of GSOC itself, the most sensitive issue that arises there is an investigation that is conducting into the death by suicide of a detective superintendent, Colin Fox, who took his own life in 2019. Um, superintendent Fox was the senior investigating officer into the Regency murder, and his very tragic death occurred in the middle of a trial uh, in which Patrick Hutch, a nephew of Jerry Hutch, was charged and was on trial for that Regency murder. Now, quite obviously, you can understand from every level the sensitivity that would be associated with that investigation and the role that the, the, the Hutch, as, as one of their family members, being, being the defendant in the case, the, the, the position that that family's w- would have in it. And yet, you have a GSOC investigator who appears to have a very close relationship in one form or another with at least one member of that family. That alone is, is, is an extremely uh, worrying mm. situation. You now, put on now top just of that, to, to go sorry. back to that investigation and the uh, death by suicide of Detective Superintendent Colin Fox, which happened at a guard station, hence GSOC. One imagines that if that had happened elsewhere, that they would not be involved. But because it happened on a guard, the premises, uh, they were definitely involved. I mean, so many questions about uh, the trial collapsing, uh, why, uh, you you know, the trial could not continue or uh, a mistrial be declared and we start again with a different investigating officer. It's one of the perplexing questions that um, there is no answer to as yet. 
Yes, no, you have the double jeopardy uh, situation there as well. Sorry, offhand, no, I can't remember whether Mr. Hutch was found not guilty or whether it was declared a mistrial, but there would certainly be issues around that. Um, There are certain, for example, Superintendent Fox's widow spoke at an Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors conference a couple of years ago where she pointed out the kind of pressures that he was under at the time and a lot of those pressures would have been related to this investigation. I have to say the man was highly regarded professionally and very well liked within the force and it was a terrible tragedy for obviously for everybody around him. So so you would imagine that a GSOC investigator who had whatever peripheral connection to the Hutch family uh, would have recused himself from investigating the death of Detective Superintendent Colin Fox. Absolutely. And in a broader context, irrespective of this specific investigation, one would have thought that he should add a small degree of self-awareness in terms of his position and the potential for the perception of compromise, if nothing else, should have been obvious to him and at the very least should have informed his superiors or management in GSOC of his situation yeah. and checked whether this was considered all right. I mean, now, and if you take close, it forward to the... Uh, how close is the relationship uh, between this uh, landlady, if that's what she is, and uh, Jared Hutch himself? Because, I mean, a second cousin three times removed cannot be held responsible for any doings by um, the, the, the major party in all of this. Absolutely not. And I don't think anybody's suggesting that the, the, the person involved can be held responsible for anything. But quite obviously, it was a close relative to Mr. Hutchins. If there's a party on Monday night, and one has to assume in the general run of things in society as a whole, a party of a Monday night generally tends to be for a specific purpose. So it's reasonable to assume it was associated with the acquittal of Jerry Hutch. It would be very understandable in a family context that there would be such a party. But this person was, well, it's, it's unclear whether this person was there, but presumably she was, and and he was there in her company. But it's it's merely the, the, the possibility for compromise, finding oneself in that environment. And remember, GSOC officers have access to a huge amount of detail, the kind of detail that a lot of Gardaí don't even have access to unless they're at a, a particular level within the force. I mean, what would strike me, Pat, apart from anything else, if you're looking at the incident itself, if there is a scenario whereby this man was inside the party and Jerry Hutch entered, one would have thought he would immediately leave and first thing the following morning, he would inform management exactly what happened. Now, that did not occur, and therefore one can understand why there is the kind of reaction there is to it. Now, at the same time, he did tell some people, some associates in GSOC, guess where I was last night? And uh, they immediately then reported it to senior management in GSOC. It would suggest that he didn't see the harm in it almost. It was almost a matter of... uh, a curiosity, you know, guess where I was last night. I'm only paraphrasing what he might have said. Yeah. So he didn't, there was no red flag for him if he's going to tell his his associates in GSOC that that's where he was. I mean, and then when faced with the reality that his phone is going to be taken from him, um, that he will be investigated uh, by his colleagues, he immediately resigned. Some say he's left the jurisdiction. He's not originally from the jurisdiction, it would appear. He was, you know, a retired police officer from elsewhere. Um, But has he put himself beyond questioning? Well, that's the other issue, immediately. I mean, one can imagine in certain scenarios somebody caught in that kind of a situation, as you said, 
to be honest with you, I, I, I find it amazing that he could not see the, the, the red flag and that he was so casual about it that he couldn't see it to the extent that he just discussed it with colleagues. But one could imagine somebody in that scenario, if they were nearing retirement age, they may well say, well, look, it's not worth my while. I'm not going to get involved in this thing. I'm heading, what have you. But <clears throat> what that arises in this situation is that whatever investigation there is, and currently there's one being conducted by GSOC itself, even though there are calls for an external person such as a judge to examine it, whatever investigation is, this individual could be beyond the reach of um, of any investigator, so to speak, any inquiry. And uh, that's a highly unsatisfactory situation. Again, all of this too, Pat, has to be taken against the background, whereby... There are a number of investigations into the Hutch family's links, possible links, with elements of the Gardaí. I mean, there are a couple of guards under suspension because they're being investigated because of this. There was also reports that retired Superintendent John Murphy, who's currently serving a sentence for drug possession, was questioned by Gardaí as to possible links. So quite obviously, there is a scenario whereby there is a belief among senior Gardaí that there are links between the Hutch family and elements in the security services or that people have been compromised in that regard. In that scenario, when you introduce the fact of a GSOC officer in this kind of situation, you can see the reason for worry. Um, so who investigates a judge? I mean, do they have the skills to do this kind of thing? Um, a senior counsel, um, unless they're people who are usually prosecuting the bad guys rather than defending the bad guys, uh, or maybe the guys defending the bad guys might be better placed to do such an investigation. I don't know. Um, but uh, certainly a, a shadow over the activities of, of GSOC until this thing is resolved. Mick, thank you very much uh, for joining us, spe- special correspondent with the Irish Examiner. Listening to all of that, Brendan O'Connor, president of the GRA in advance of their conference. Brendan, good morning. Good morning, Pat. What do you make of this scenario? Well, I suppose, Pat, the first thing I say is that we have established a fact and we won't be commenting on the actual individual circumstances, but certainly the concept and the scenario that's being suggested raises serious questions for our members and for the public. And, you know, this specific circumstances, this incident raises issues, but these are conceptual issues we have asked for quite a while in relation to GSOC and you spoke about Gubu. We had a, a Gubu situation before in relation to, you know, people and vans and phones being bugged and stuff that never really got to the bottom half. But at, on, on a day-to-day basis, basically, our members would say that when we have difficulties or questions about GSOC, we don't have a transparent complaints process. We don't... We, we GSOC rightfully hold our members to a very high standard, and that's absolutely correct, but there's just a lack of clarity around the, the guidelines and the procedures and the complaints procedures and the oversight. I suppose okay. The, the, the so, question so comes, who oversees the overseers? Really, who, the who oversees the overseers? Uh, how would you describe the relationship between GSOC and the Guard the Force generally, the rank and file? I mean, is it, you know, the way when you're watching those uh, American TV series, there's always massive tension between the rank and file and what is called internal affairs. Is that how you'd characterize the relationship between the Gardaí and GSOC, that they hate them uh, coming in to investigate? No, certainly not. I mean, that's that's TV and that's entertainment. I mean, the, the, the day-to-day experience that our members have is generally, look, we have, would have issues really with the level of scrutiny that's applied to vexation complaints. But we have a professional relationship and we try to keep it professional and there's some uh, excellent staff working for GSOC and we have a good relationship with them. But of course, it's the nature of, of, of the... It can be slightly adversarial, but professionalism and, and protocols and where everyone knows what, 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 
where their role is and respects boundaries, that there is no problems arise. And that's, again, what we're talking about here is a lack of protocols. So who would you like to oversee the overseers? Um, well, I suppose I, I would just look at other jurisdictions. I think generally for police oversight, generally it's someone of, from a judiciary or from a legal background, maybe a, a barrister, retired barrister, that sort of thing. But I wouldn't specifically define that, but just once there's a system and a protocol in place that's transparent and that is clear and that all users know what, what are the guidelines and what are the principles governing the, the, the process is really the issue, not the individual or their background. Now, uh, you have a, a very heavy agenda uh, for your conference. Uh, tell me, what are the, the main things that uh, your members will be discussing? Well, the main issue really is the retention and recruitment crisis and falling garden numbers, which really is concerning in the current environment when you consider the challenges that our members are facing with the increasing population and particularly the, the number of assaults on our members. So the, the number one issue is uh, getting recruitment and maybe trying to stem the uh, getting to the bottom of why people are leaving the force. So that's a morale issue. So really morale, retention, recruitment, assaults, they're kind of all tied in together. But we would say, as our conference says, theme is breaking point. The service is at a very difficult place and we're looking forward to an opportunity to engage with the Minister and with the Garda Commissioner and say, you know, these are our problems, let's work together and what are we going to do to fix them? There are a number of elements that uh, feed into the attacks on Gardaí and how Gardaí can best uh, protect themselves. We, we know, for example, uh, that often when an altercation happens that the Garda Force members of are photographed and videoed by people who might be, you know... Uh, inimical to the guards and uh, they kind of use that against the guards so body cams uh, I know are high on your agenda and also uh, the commissioner says that uh, facial recognition technology uh, should be available to be applied to the the video when it is analysed what say you? Well I think in fairness to the commissioner and, and it's a very very difficult discussion but I think what's been spoken about is the use of facial recognition to remove people from it. It's not that the, the, the people that are not concerned with the actual incident and so that it can be pixelated. So it's not an issue that the commissioner is looking to use body cams to identify suspects. It's actually to... But why not? I mean, um, it, because at the end of the day, um, you, you know, you'd have to have corroborating proof, but uh, it would be very helpful if somebody has a go at a guard and that uh, face is captured by the body cam, that on analysis... Uh, that this could be counter-checked against any uh, database of faces there is uh, and say, yeah, we got him. That's the guy who had a go. Well, I think that the the, the experience internationally that has been problems with the UK is that facial recognition technology is not without its flaws. So there's huge ethical and moral considerations. So really, we consider that on on the outer aspects of the discussion. We really wanted to get get the evidence and, and work on it and use... Uh, tried and tested policing methods which are augmented by the use of technology like body cameras but mm. certainly you were straying into fields there that probably aren't tested and raise other issues that could be a distraction from the yeah. core issue. It's just that members. members of the force are required to display their numbers for example so even, even though you might not be identified by name you are identifiable to anyone with a mobile phone who actually photographs your number. That's correct Pat and we have a huge So issue. Th- that seems an inequality. It is an inequality and that's something that we try to balance and our members obviously have their privacy impeded on quite regularly and they have videos posted off them online and people appealing for information about their families and, and their their addresses and stuff like that. So there is an imbalance, as you say, and we believe that the pendulum has swung in favour of the offender and, and against 
our members who are trying to do their jobs. So it's all about trying to find balance. And those are the challenges of policing mm. in, in, in 2023. Now, in terms of dealing with people who may assault Gardaí, uh, no one wants firearms on every Garda. Uh, we have our armed support units and they bring firearms to bear when it is required. But uh, escalating a little bit from, uh, you know, the nightstick or baton uh, up to pepper spray, up perhaps to tasers. Yes, we, we believe that there is a, a place for tasers in, in the organisation. They are there, they're carried by the armed support unit, as you say, but we believe there should be more available. So we should have a, a, the Scottish model where we have what are called SDO specially trained officers on every shift who would be available to carry a taser and deploy at local levels. So we believe that's a, that's a very reasonable escalation to have available to members. And as you say, it, it's a non-lethal use of force. It's, it's an escalation beyond a baton. But in some cases, it's actually it, it's, it's more humane than, you know, a, a baton is, a, is an iron bar and ass baton. So you can uh, immobilize a suspect actually without causing any injury. They're not without their limitations and their difficulties, but certainly they're used internationally. It's international practice with most comparable police services to use TASER, and we believe that they have a role in stemming the escalating numbers of assaults and, and, and okay so the, so the availability of taser the idea is not that everyone on the beat would have a taser strapped to their belt uh, which they could whip out in the event of difficulty uh, you'd have to call on the person who was on that shift to say can we have um, joan or joe down here with the taser to administer it because we have a difficulty with, uh, with with someone who's being recalcitrant Yes, that's the, that's the, it just needs to be available to be deployed, as I say, as an escalation. It, it, there's cost implications and training implications, so having every member, but other jurisdictions would have every frontline officer uh, armed with a taser. So, that's, that's the, again, that comes down to the nuts and bolts of the situation, but the concept is we need more tasers out there. Our members are on the, on the receiving end of horrific assaults on a, on a regular basis. The problem's getting worse, and we feel that, that current equipment on issue is not providing adequate protection. We believe tasers are part of not. Not the panacea, but part of the overall solution. Uh, what's your reaction to uh, Jim O'Callan, the Fianna Foil uh, justice spokesperson, uh, saying that there should be mandatory drug testing in the Gardaí? Well, there is mandatory drug testing on the way. We have absolutely no objection. Our members do not work al- want to work alongside people who are involved in criminality or, or indeed are under the influence of, of intoxicants for obviously health and safety reasons. But again, come back to the, the the same issue. It's about protocols. It's about having the right system in place that uh, is fair. And you know, there's issues around privacy and bodily integrity, and who's going to conduct the test, and how people will be selected, and stuff like that. So those are the things that need to be worked out. But certainly, conceptually, our members have, have are in favour of drug testing. Mm. I mean, there was an arrest of of a, a police uh, person, a woman. Uh, who was suspected of having cocaine. It was a very small amount of cocaine, it would appear, and uh, she was released without charge. It may be inconceivable, given the age profile of the Guard of the Force, that some of them are not using cocaine recreationally like many of their peers. Well, you know, drug drug, drug use is, is, is an epidemic in society, and it would be naive to think that there wouldn't be, you know, a small number of Guardi who may partake um, but certainly, you know, there's no zero tolerance among their colleagues. We've had a lot of uh, disclosures and guards moving against their colleagues. So certainly there is no tolerance of it. But unfortunately, it probably is there. And actually, drug testing has its place in the workplace. OK, but you would welcome uh, the uh, eventual emergence of a policy with a protocol for mandatory drug testing, as long as everyone was happy that the process of selection of those for testing was transparent and fair. 
absolutely. We've accepted and embraced the concept and we're working with Garda management on a consultation paper to, to have a system that's fair and transparent and that serves the purpose of the organisation and balances the rights of individual members that we represent. Mm. Uh, one texter uh, says, Garda, it's unfit for purpose at the moment in this violent drug fuel society that we now live in. The training needs to change and they need to be armed, preferably with guns. Well, everyone has to, uh, turned their faces away from guns, although even in Britain, where you have a, a substantially unarmed police force, uh, the number of armed units has increased fairly substantially. But that business of training for a cocaine fueled society... I mean, is Templemore, what happens in Templemore, is that appropriate? Yeah, well, the Templemore training programme is, is, is quite extensive. and We believe that it, it, it offers uh, our, our people coming in, they actually get a level seven degree, which is, is, is a high standard of education. It, it's independently overseen by the uh, University of Limerick. So, but we would always call for more practical scenario-based training, and there's always room for improvement. But I think there's no appetite to move towards an armed service routinely amongst our members or amongst our public. But certainly there is a need for more access to firearms and, and better backup. There's always room for improvement. But uh, training is, is, is always evolving, and we, we would like to see it being more adaptable to societal needs. But um, I wouldn't say that the, the training is not fit for purpose. There's always room for improvement, and we actually endorse and support the current um, syllabus as, okay. it, as it's been taught. Brendan, thank you very much uh, for making time for us this morning on a busy day at your conference. Brendan O'Connor is president of the GRA. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.